As I begin this morning, I have to tell you that when I read books, when I watch stories, one of the, the characters that I am always the most interested in, most of the time, are these characters that have all these different sort of gray undertones to them. They in some way like have been wrapped up in darkness and they've, that's, it's shaped how their story arcs happen. I don't know if there's certain characters you think of in literature and books, but there are characters that for whatever reason you want to root for them, but they're not quite the good guys, if that makes sense. Like something has happened in their stories and times, and oftentimes we're kind of compellingly presented with antagonists. If you think about all these anti-heroes and superheroes, movies and in different TV shows and movies that you see, we see a lot more anti-heroes today than I think we did 20, 30 years ago. But one of the characters, and I did make a confession last week that I'm a Star Wars fan, so this is a Star Wars reference. Prepare yourself. I'm about to enter into Star Wars. If you don't know Star Wars, I really hope you can still get this. But one of the things I was fascinated about was this most recent trilogy Star Wars did that featured a character called Kylo Ren. Now, I have a few pictures up here. Here's his face. He's very scary. This is all the promotional material in episode seven, right? And then you go to the next face. This is what he actually looks like. Controversial that he takes his mask off, that the bad guy in Star Wars takes his mask off. Controversial. But I want to talk about Kylo Ren here because from the very beginning, it was brought up all this concern. Is this a redeemable character? Is this a character that can be redeemed through the storytelling of this new trilogy? which a lot of people don't like the trilogy when I completely understand. We can talk after. It's okay. It's okay. But, and, we're, and one of the reasons is, and this was accentuated for me when I went to see the movie several times when it first came out, episode seven. I went to see, uh, I saw it with my grandparents. And my grandmother was really excited by the fact that Harrison Ford was in the new trilogy. <laughs> he was really excited that Harrison Ford was going to be in the new trilogy. FYI, Kylo Ren is technically Ben Solo. Technically, Harrison Ford's character, Han Solo's son, technically. And in the very first movie, towards the end, he kind of kills his dad, which was kind of a bummer for my grandmother, to be honest, because she was very excited about Harrison Ford, you know, being in this movie. That ship sailed. And all of a sudden, you have this character who's been warped by darkness. He really become, he begins as a villain. You experience him as a villain in all these movies. And he's consumed by hate and betrayal. And as the movies go on, even though you can see his violence and hatred lashing out, the storytelling is drawing you in to some level of compassion for him, if that makes sense. You start to understand how he experienced betrayal and deception, and even the fact that he has been lied to and deceived, and he lies to himself. He deceives himself. You know, even though he kills Han Solo, is he beyond redemption? That is the story, and those are the kind of characters that I find so compelling. Is anyone beyond redemption? Last week, we started the book First John in a series called The Good Life, which was basically, it began with this prologue, which was a confession of an eyewitness, the author of First John, basically saying that we have seen and heard the incarnate word of life. This is Jesus himself who's come to us, who's revealed who God is to us, and he's shown us the way. Now, we, we got hints of this in the first section, but basically John is writing this letter to the churches at this time because people are being deceived and led astray. And he's saying, no, experience the fellowship of God through the appearance of Jesus Christ, the word of life. See this fellowship and seek this fellowship, not only with him, but with other believers, people who follow Jesus. Now, 
as I say this, we're in a section that moves forward past the prologue to basically say more and more what he's writing about. And one of the best ways I heard explain it by another commentator of this passage, which is 1-5 through 2-2, if you have your Bible open, it's through these three movements, which is the foundation, the application, and the clarification. We almost could say that back together. Say it with me. The application, the foundation, sorry. The foundation, say it, and then the application, and then the clarification. We all did a great job stumbling over each other. It's great. Now, the application, the second movement, is, is applying this reality of the foundation. So I want to reflect on this with you. And first, we're going to look at the foundation, which is the first movement. And you can see it in the very first verse. This is the message we have heard from him and declared to you, God is light. In him, there is no darkness at all. God is light. In him, there is no darkness at all. John's being really clear about the message he's proclaiming. This is a very central part of really what he's saying is the gospel. God is light. In him, there is no darkness. And light, if you remember, if you joined us for our Christmas Eve service, was a big theme. That was a big theme. We thought about from darkness to light. That was a big theme in the worship of that service. And it comes back here again. Light as an analogy here. It's an analogy. God is light. It's an analogy for fellowship. It's an analogy for experiencing a close relationship with God. A personal relationship with the eternal creator of the universe, which is amazing. Sometimes in the church, we downplay these incredible realities to what the Bible tells us. And sometimes it just needs a little bit of a lift and acknowledgement that we are being invited and drawn into a personal relationship with the internal creator of the universe. God is light. So then darkness is to be outside of that relationship with God. Darkness is to be apart from fellowship with God. Now, I touched on fellowship a little bit last week, but it's a big theme in the letter. So we have to talk more and more about fellowship. If I'm going to say that light is an analogy for fellowship, then what is this fellowship, this koinonia, which is the Greek term? And really, this term gets used in lots of different ways in the New Testament. So I'm going to Bible nerd out on you in a little bit here. But I'm going to show you a few verses right here for how this term gets used. What is koinonia? How is this used in the New Testament? Because it's used in different ways. One way is it's used as commitment to a common purpose. I'll have the verses up here for you. In Philippians, it says this, In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership, fellowship, in the gospel from the first day until now. Common purpose, a commitment to a common purpose. Philippians, Paul uses it again later in the letter, where he says this, I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection, the participation fellowship in his sufferings because like him in his death, becoming like him in his death. So commitment to a common purpose. It's, you already heard two words used. When you have your English word, they've made some decisions for you. They've decided how they want to translate the word and the context, but it's important to know the connection that this is a multi-layered meaning in a word. When John drops, drops the word fellowship, he's talking about multiple layers. So One is the commitment to a common purpose. The other is a personal relationship with God. Hear this verse from 1 Corinthians. God is faithful who has called you into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ. In Acts, or rather it's Romans, um, there's another way that fellowship is used, talking about sharing financially. For Macedonia and Achaia were pleased to make a contribution, 
fellowship for the poor among the Lord's people in Jerusalem with people in need. And then the last one, which 1 John echoes significantly, is from Acts, which is fellowship with believers. It says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. This foundation, God is light, this message that is speaking to you and to me this morning. This message is that we are invited to a personal relationship with God, who is the light of the world. And fellowship with God, if I'm going to summarize these different layers of meaning, fellowship with God is expressed through a common purpose. And this common purpose compels us by love to walk in his light. If we've truly experienced this fellowship with God, we are compelled by the love we've experienced in connection with God to walk in the light. That's the foundation of what 1 John's building here. I hope that makes sense. It's a foundation. But the next is the application, which is another way of saying, what does that actually mean? What does it mean that God is light? I'm invited to a personal relationship with God. Well, the application is walk in the light. Read the next verse, 1-6. If we claim to have fellowship with him, yet walk in the darkness, we lie. If we claim to have fellowship with him, and yet walk in the darkness, we lie. And do not live out the truth. This idea (laughs) that the church is made up of perfect people isn't true at all. That the church is not a place of the people who really are the smartest people, the brightest people. It is a community of people who are intimately aware of how broken they are. And that when we find belonging and acceptance in Jesus, we walk in the light and live out truth. And if we say that we have a connection with the Father, Son, and Spirit, that we've experienced the love of God, and we continue to stumble in the darkness Maybe we haven't actually experienced God in the way that we would want to say we have. This is a walk that leads us into greater depths of humility, of honesty, and it's holistic. And when I use, I'm using three H words, but holistic means it involves all of you, (laughs) that it involves all of me, that we're all drawn together in this experience of humility and honesty, and there's nothing left untouched in our lives. The application to walk in life, it means to live by truth. That's what the verse 6 says, right? And to live by truth, we must be in fellowship with the truth, living in relationship with God. And there is nothing we, there's, we can't lie about it. We're either in fellowship and relationship with God or we're not. You know, one of the things that highlights here is that we, a lot of times, have been guilty of two offenses, Two things that when we encounter this invitation, this light shining into your life, we're guilty of two things. We've lied about our relationship with God, and we've lied about doing the truth, or about what truth is. If we're in the darkness, we don't have fellowship with God, and he is, he's the foundation of this whole redemptive story. This whole book is intended to tell us a story about rescue and love, a revelation of God reaching out to you and calling you into himself and inviting you into the purpose you were made for. But when we, when we start to have a different foundation, say, God isn't light. What if I could find good in life somewhere else? If we start to have a different foundation, we start to apply and decide things differently along the way. 
We lie about truth because we don't often lift it the way we say we would. What, truly, what we truly value is demonstrated how we live each and every day of our lives. It shows. Here's a quote from a commentator that stuck out to me. Because it's talking about doing truth. Truth. The truth is not just something you say. Like something you just sit in a catechesis class and just say, I believe this thing. And it doesn't touch the rest of your life. And true, it touches all of us if we really experience the fellowship of God. Doing truth means living in the light of the truth, seeking to avoid sin. It is not enough to claim to know God as the cessationists did. This is the false teaching of the, the letter that it's addressing. People must also live in the light of that truth, putting it into practice and avoiding sin. Truth is something that we live. <laughs> truth is something that we embody. It's something that we, that we belong to. It's a community that embraces you and you it. And so I, I look at how this letter is trying to speak to people who've stepped away from community and say, we can believe whatever we want to believe and live whatever way we want to live and still be. We, we're still in good fellowship. And First John is saying all the way back then, no, this is not the way of the word of life. And I think we can say the same too, that while we've experienced church that is an isolation form, that true fellowship is not necessarily found being so apart from the others. And it's not a statement about Sunday morning worship or Sunday gathering, but it's the call of what true fellowship is week to week, every day. And my fear as I reflected on this is we've attempted to practice church and fellowship apart from God, apart from actually true living together and practice. And God says, in all kinds of ways, come back together, seek and practice love together, seek it humbly and honestly to do it together and to do it with me. It's not about Sunday morning worship, though this time is so important, but it is about our commitment, what we do beyond these days, in between these days of worship. Are we committed to a life of fellowship together? You know, the church is not, like I said, a place where we believe the right things as much as people who are aware of our relationship with God, of our brokenness, and that we've been forgiven. Later in 1 John and John three eighteen, he says this, Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. This is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence. Our hearts at rest in his presence. Those words really stand out to me. The idea that our hearts would be at rest in his presence through belonging to the truth and through practicing it. If anything, in my weariness this past year I've experienced is my desire that my heart would be at rest. Doesn't your heart desire to be at rest? And you know, a lot of times I find myself and I see others striving to make things right. When we're at a loss, because we are not in control of all these things taking place in front of us. You cannot practice love apart from one another, just as you cannot live in fellowship with God, and did he not have a place in your life? Loving in truth is synonymous often with action, but you can't love in action in community if you're not together. The next verse of our passage is 1-7. It says this, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and 
the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. That and is so important. This idea that both of these things go hand in hand. This idea of experiencing the saving grace of the blood of Christ and also to experiencing the fellowship. That they're one and the same intended to lead us towards wholeness and healing. There's a paraphrase of the Bible I really like. Similar to the message, if you heard of it, it's called The Voice. The paraphrase of this verse I like as well that I'll read here. If we walk step and step in the light where the Father is, the light is where the Father is, then we are ultimately connected to each other through the sacrifice of Jesus, his son. His blood purifies us from all sin. So that was the foundation and the application. Have I lost everyone yet? I'm, everyone wants to pretend they haven't, they haven't been lost. That's okay. <laughs> foundation and the application, but here's the clarification, and this is why the clarification is really needed. Because the, the, further, the next step of this passage and this application is not to do more. Oftentimes the church takes, it, takes that step. I hear about the word of God, the fellowship, I will do more. I don't ultimately believe that leads us to rest, if that makes sense. That doesn't lead us to rest. What does it look like to embrace this light, not to do more, not more actions. And an example of this I'd like to use to talk about, and I don't know if you're aware of it, it was newer to me this week, but it's a person by the name of Tukey Williams. Has anyone heard of Tukey Williams? It's an unusual first name for me. Tukey Williams was one of the founders of a violent street gang called the Crips back in the 1970s. He was a founder of a violent street gang. He, He was basically accused and sentenced because he killed someone in a grocery store robbery and he killed other people in an apartment he was robbing and he was found guilty of those murders and sentenced to death. And though to his very end of his life, he maintained his sentence. He was sentenced to death. In 1987, he was spent over six years of solitary confinement because he was so violent with the guards and with the other inmates. He was so violent. 1987, And then 1996, he publishes his first book. In 1996, in his book, he wrote nine books, and they are anti-gang books for children. He begins writing and telling his story. And then he publicly thanks God, the Almighty, for changing his life, and he apologizes for creating this gang he was a part of. And he was nominated for the Nobel Peace Prize for six times because his work started to have such an impact. Tukey Williams, I try to say this over again because it's a name that's not familiar to me, right? But the days came when he was sentenced to be put to death. Um, this is in California. So he's put to death. And, and, and as the days approached, the, the famous actor, then governor, Governor Schwarzenegger, which is difficult for me to imagine that he was the governor at the time, but he was the governor, and Governor Schwarzenegger held a closed hearing to help decide Tukey's sentence because he had such a positive impact on the community beyond his cell, and he'd indicated he's such a changed person. And so the plea was would he change from a sentence to life to prison for life, right? And many people were arguing to Governor Schwarzenegger that, no, this is a changed man. We should do something different. But, the, but Ar- Arnold, I just call him Arnold. I don't know. I'm not doing my Arnold impression. Chrissy told me not to. Um, here's what Arnold said about um, this plea. And I just wanted to reflect on this, to be honest. 
Is William's redemption complete and sincere, or is it just a hollow promise without an apology and atonement for these senseless and brutal killings? There can be no redemption. Without an apology and atonement for these senseless, brutal killings, there can be no atonement. atonement. Redemption, sorry. Governor, the governor was troubled by two things. The fact that to, this, to that very day, Williams had professed innocence from those killings of the four people. And he'd also never cooperated with the police on different things taking place with gang problems in California. And to, hours before, Tukey Williams said in an interview on a radio station, I stand strong and continue to tell you that I am innocent. Yes, I have been a wretched person, but I have redeemed myself. Yes, I have been a wretched person, but I have redeemed myself. And Tukey Williams was executed on December 13th, 2005. It brings up the question I started at the beginning, which is this. Can an unredeemable person be redeemed? But then here's another question. Is it possible for you to redeem yourself? Is that what this whole life and journey with Christ is about? Is it possible that a person's sins don't actually matter in the end? More actions are not what's needed. You can be about doing good things in your life. Those are more actions, more deeds, more works. What is probably needed more in our life as light, God's light shines into us is for us to receive more and more of his grace. For us to, be, to deal with life more honestly, with more humility, more holistically, all of ourselves. Because how can you actually walk this journey, walking in the light or walking in the darkness? What are these different things? It's an analogy for the way of life, right? Well, walking in the darkness means to be controlled by the desires of the world instead of desires for God. So walking into God, walking in the light is to be compelled by the desires for God. So the clarification, I mentioned the foundation, the application, the clarification is this. The clarification that to walk in the light, we must confess sin and receive forgiveness. We must confess sin and receive forgiveness. Read the next few verses of the passage with me from verse 8. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. And if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all righteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar, and his word is not in us. In other words, and this is a paraphrase of the voice again, if we say we have not sinned, then we say God is a liar, and show that we have not let his word find its way into our hearts. And we must confess sin because we need forgiveness. That the thoughts and actions of our hearts, just like I was talking about Kylo Ren, that that had an impact on him as a person. And when we commit sin, it shapes who we are. I, I, I've been using this language of formation a lot in our Wednesday class that we started this past week. When we do acts of sin and things that take us deeper in darkness, they don't just not have an effect on us. They misform us. They deform us. They dehumanize us from who we are intended to be. They take hold of our hearts and they impact us in ways that go well beyond our control. And the point for any of us is not to hold out, not to wait like we don't think this is going to matter, but to actually treat this as serious. Otherwise, if we don't, it is foolish. 
But then you hear these verses from 8.10, and here's what God is already anticipating, what God is already saying to us. Two ways God responds to people when we confess them. They're good news. He says this, that he forgives their sins for people who confess sin. He also says that he purifies us from all unrighteousness. He no longer holds our sins against us. He removes what is defiled and deformed about in, within each of us. And in both of these cases, God is faithful and God is just. Confession, and this stood out to me, and I wanna, I'll repeat this a few times. Confession is us agreeing with God about our sin. Confession is us agreeing with God about our sin. That we treat this as serious, we treat this as this matters, how I've hurt myself, hurt myself, how I've hurt other people around me, this matters in the eternal sense of things. And I will treat this just as seriously, God, as you desire for good and wholeness in your world. And that I am intimately involved in this. Confession, like I've been saying, this light casting out into the darkness. Confession is stepping into the light of God's truth and agreeing with God. And I don't know what your mind and heart goes to when you see these things. Because all of us deal with different temptations, different distortions, different missteps. But it does mean coming before God humbly and saying, God, my sins are terrible before you that I am lost, I have wronged those closest to me, I have betrayed, I have misled, I have deceived my friends, my family, my neighbors, not to mention the people I don't even know that are watching ahead. All this witness, it hurts the world around me. I did them, I mourned them, I want to stop them, and I I don't want to just be merely forgiven of my past, I want to become pure and holy like you are pure and holy, God. This is confession, agreeing with God about the darkness. The darkness is dark. The darkness does deform. The darkness does destroy us. And if we agree with God about our sin, we must also agree about our forgiveness. Just as much as we will take sin seriously and should take sin seriously, we must also agree with God about forgiveness. It is very easy to fall prey to this narrative that I am unworthy of being saved that I am unredeemable. There is no one that is not redeemable. That God and his mercy is reaching out and calling people to his light and his foundation. And if we believe it is true that he will take it seriously, the darkness of the world, he also is just as serious about his offer to you and to me for grace. For anyone. It rewrites every story. It lets you step into a new chapter of life and forgiveness that wasn't possible on your own will. You can't redeem yourself because Jesus has redeemed you. The power of grace at work in our lives is also how we participate in fellowship with God who reveals the darkness within us. We had a gathering last night for prayer and worship. I think some of you probably attended. And I, 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 was, uh, I was wanting to help with my kids last night, but I joined online. And I was joining, and one of the things that just moved me and touched me was this song that the team led last night that I used to sing a lot often years ago in a past season of life and worship in a church. And it was a song you might know, which is called King of My Heart. And it was a song that just led me to a confession of my own inadequacy, if that makes any sense to you. 
The, 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 the lyrics of the song are this, let the king of my heart be the wind inside my sail, the anchor in my waves, be the fire inside my veins, the echo of my days, the Lord is my song. And then it repeats over and over again. It says, you are good, speaking to the Lord. You are good. You are good. It repeats. Sometimes as you listen to it, you kind of say, do I have to keep saying this over and over again? How many times must it be said for us to receive it? That you are good. And it led me to a time of confession where I, I look at the challenges we experience here as a church and our world, and I think, I just want to fix it. You probably heard other people, whether it's people that love the Lord or pastors and leaders outside the church, I just want to fix things. <laughs> look at this broken world, and at the same time, as we strive, we don't find ourselves in a belonging of truth that leads to hearts that rest. No, we wear ourselves out. We're burned out. We're lost and confused and disempowered. And it's because we never had the power to begin with. And instead, this time a confession for me led me to receive and proclaim the goodness of God. And I would ask the same for you, to receive and proclaim the goodness of God that he has forgiven you, that he is leading you to confess things, to let go of things that are not yours to hold. Because we often try to conceal our sin, or we remain in sin, which is our way of disagreeing with God. And when we do that, we actually are saying in our own way, our li my life doesn't matter, God. You don't care if I'll just hold on to this sin. Except God does care. My problems, my errors, they don't matter. I, I've been really smart about how I sin and mess up. I actually don't hurt that many people. Anyone you are with experiences the darkness that is coming out of you, if that makes sense. It's why we need grace and community to forgive each other and love each other. That even when darkness makes itself known, that we can receive people in love. And that we don't have to respond darkness with darkness. But here's the next verse, 1 John 2. Why John's writing this, why he's saying this, the clarification. My dear children, I write this to you that you will not sin. You know, maybe you have some relationships you can think about this with, or you've realized this over time, but we don't get to take back the things we say. If you're married, you can think about things you've said with your spouse. If you have family, like a sibling, parent, children, you can think about the fact that you don't get to take back the thing you wish you didn't said. The thing you wish you didn't say. We all live in the consequences of the impact of our words and our actions. We don't get to undo the things that we've done. But it's God's grace for us <laughs> that we get to live after those actions, not like they define us, not like they shape who we are, because God looks at all of us and says, we are children of God. We're not beyond redemption, nor is there any single act that takes us beyond saving and beyond grace. No, we don't save ourselves, but it is only through the atoning sacrifice of Jesus. Where this passage ends is with us having complete assurance that it is not about what you have done that shapes who you will always be. No, it is who God says you are, who God invites you into, who God brings you into belonging with. It is the assurance through the advocacy and atonement of the sacrifice of Jesus. This is the last section of this verse, what this builds to. But if anybody does sin, because he, John assumes we will make mistakes, darkness will make itself known in all kinds of ways in our stories. 
If we do sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but for the sins of the whole world. Can you redeem yourself? Will these sins matter in the end? Christ is telling a different story. He's telling you to find fellowship, seek fellowship with God, to step into the light, to walk in the light. This reality of darkness is severe. It hurts people. But that is exactly why God took it so seriously that he came himself. He came himself to die for it, to make a way for the light to overcome the darkness. I'm going to invite the worship team to come up. Um, as we think about responding to this passage in 1 John. And one of the things I sometimes talk with people about is what they think their life is about. It's, it's a question of purpose. What am I here for? What am I supposed to be doing with my life? And they feel, as I often feel, can feel uncertain. Where am I supposed to go from here? What, what is this life all about? What I would say to you, reflecting on this passage, is to live and die with the certainty because of the certain gospel. To live and die with the certainty of who Christ says you are. Because that is sure, that is fixed. <laughs> that you might have questions about your calling and what is taking place over this next time of life for you. But who God says you are and how he has promised to commit himself to you. How he's promised to forgive you in the midst of your sins in fellowship with him, nothing will impact that. That fellowship is this personal walk with God, and, it's, and he's inviting us to be on the same page with him about how he desires his world to be reshaped and made whole. And fellowship finds this expression. We find it with him when we step in with him. We come together about what's most important, and we channel our energy, our time, our resources, our gifts to that end to participate in the fellowship with God and to do that with one another. That is the invitation of God is light, to walk in the light, to confess sin, and, and this is important, to truly receive forgiveness because we all need it. Please go to the Lord with me in prayer. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Whom shall I be afraid? Lord, we do not need to be afraid of you this morning. You have welcomed us to come into your presence. And you shine your light into us in moments like this time of worship and teaching because you desire for us to not be left in the darkness, to not be left in the restlessness in the, in, the, in the striving, in the hurting, in the pain, and the longing, you desire us to be in fellowship with you once again as you've created us to be. And so, Father, I pray that, Lord, you would release anything that holds us in bondage, that we would no longer be enticed by the darkness or these false lies and deception that take us deeper and further away from you. But Lord, today, as we commit to walk with you we, and we confess our sins to you, both personally and in relationship to one another, that Lord, we also receive your forgiveness. Because we want to live as forgiven people, not as perfect people. We want to live as people rescued you by you, and not people who have done all the work of rescuing ourselves. So release us from this illuminate that which would hold us down, Lord, and set us free. For this is the work of Christ on the cross. 
You died for us and live for us. May we die to ourselves and live with you. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. This morning, as the team gathered to pray before church, our prayer was that you would encounter the living God, that Jesus Christ would reveal himself to you, and that you would live in his light. And so as we sing this song of response, how deep the Father's love for us, I just want to invite you to respond how you feel led. Whether you want to stand, whether you want to sit with your hands open, whether you want to kneel, maybe it'll be a song of confession for you. Maybe it will be a song of celebration for his redemptive love over you. Let us sing. His wounds have paid my ransom. 
been forgiven through the blood of Jesus. Now you're invited to step into light because you belong there. There's nowhere else that you belong. If Jesus is your Lord and Savior, you are welcomed into home, into that journey of transformation. And we are on that journey together. Thank you so much, team, for leading us in worship. I really appreciate it. I have three announcements for us. They'll be very brief. One is after these services, if you'd like, we'd love to pray with you. In person here, we have prayer servants over here who would love to meet with you and to pray over you. And then the same always for people online. If you would like prayer, you can send an email to prayer at discoverbethel.com and we will follow up. We will pray over you. The other thing I want to mention as, you know, we're talking about fellowship as a church and that we all understandably have become more disconnected than we would like from church from here at Bethel or anywhere is that it is important for us to be intentional with how we reconnect with one another. So whether that's you reconnecting with old friendships and relationships here at church, which is amazing, or if you find yourself newer to the church and you're looking for ways to how do I connect with the fellowship that is here at Bethel? Well, one way that really helps uh, me as a pastor and other staff to connect you with other people here in the church is to fill out a connect card. And you can do that by going online to discoverbethel.com connect. It's a real simply online form. We used to have the paper things. We don't really use it as much anymore. But the online works. We do attend and respond to those things and would love to find a way to connect with you and know where you are in your journey. How can we meet you where you are? My last thing I would say, and I'm excited to announce, is that we're getting ready to relaunch the food bank next month. I'm very excited. Uh, Marcy Mast is a leader that's been said that she's willing to help out with this along with other volunteers and leaders. So if that is something you're interested in, it is an every week affair. Every week, just finding a way to provide uh, hampers for food for people in the neighborhood locally. And when they met with the food bank, um, there was definitely an expressed need. We need this in this community. So thankfully, I know that Marcy's gotten a number of volunteers already involved. It's every week. It used to be at Thursday. It's going to be on Fridays now, starting in February. So if you'd like to participate in that, we'd love to have you involved. But if you could just send an email to info at Discover Bethel and we get you connected with Marcy. I just want to mention that because I'm excited about having it. When I first moved here and was participating in the church on Thursdays, I remember the energy in the building, if that makes sense. Like I almost arranged my whole schedule around so I could be here and just be part of what was happening in the food bank because we get people coming from the neighborhood all over and it's amazing to make those connections. Um, as, I, as we close our service, I'd like to say a blessing over us and I invite you all to stand for this part. I've said this last week, I'll say it again this week. It is a collection of verses in First John as our benediction today. Keep yourselves from idols. Proclaim what you have seen and heard in fellowship with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that the word of life has come, God's light and love for his children. Believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may have eternal life and so that your joy will be made complete. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all today. Amen.